0: Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to the broadcast ministry of Return to the Word with Pastor Mark Fontecchio, advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now, here is pastor and author Mark Fontecchio. In our church series, we have looked at the birth of the church, we have looked at the dispensation of the church age, the church as the bride of Christ, the church as the family of God, and this morning we look at the local church, because, I'm going to make this statement, I believe that the local church is the most important unit on earth for the equipping of the saints of Jesus Christ, for the teaching of God's word, and for the declaration of the gospel of Christ. Milton Rokeach, he wrote a book about the three Christs. This book, it's kind of parts of it are hilarious. He described his attempts to treat patients at a psychiatric hospital in Michigan, and each of these three men suffered from delusions of grandeur. Each believed he was unique among humankind. Meaning this, each believed He had been called to save the world, that he was the Messiah. Well, Milton kind of found it difficult to break through. How do you help people with this particular problem? to help the patients accept the truth about their identity. So he decided, here's what he came up with, and I love his approach. He decided to put the three of them into a little community <laughs> to see if, if them rubbing up against people who also claim to be the Messiah m- might put a dent in their delusion. Well, this led to some interesting conversations. I mean, you can imagine, right? One of them would claim, I am the Messiah, the son of God. I was sent here to save the earth. Well, how do you know? Milton would ask. God told me. But then one of the other patients would counter, I've I've never told you any such thing as that. (laughs) Every once in a while, one of the men would get a glimmer of reality, never deep, Never for very long, because this Messiah complex was deeply ingrained in them. The truth is, Milton was probably up against a demonic element. But what little progress Milton could make was done by putting them together. Kind of a crazy idea itself, taking a group of deluded, wannabe Messiahs and putting them together to see if they could be cured. But I can tell you that this has been done before, with people that you know about. Luke 9.46, the Bible tells us this about the disciples of Jesus. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. Church hadn't even been born yet. I mean, how's that for getting out of the starting gate? The church hadn't even been born yet, started. And the future leaders of the church are arguing about who would be the greatest. This is the mindset that is still alive and well in the church. And it's sad to say in Luke 22, at the last supper, Christ is about to be betrayed. Christ would go to the cross. And yet what do we read in Luke 22, verse 24? Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Now, let's be fair. They didn't have the permanent indwelling of the spirit of God yet. This is before Pentecost. But the disciples, come on, at this point also didn't have an understanding of who God is and what he was going to do. Each wanted to be considered the greatest. They wanted to be exalted above men instead of humbled before the Messiah. And the disciples would learn, and we need to learn, Christians, that the church is not about exalting self, but exalting Jesus Christ. And this takes us to the heart of the purpose of the church. Now, we've already described it as a family. And I believe one of the fundamental principles you need to understand, Christian, is that God's plan for your life can only be fulfilled. God's plan for your life as a believer in Jesus Christ can only be fulfilled when you are connected with a local church. So what is a local church? Well, we defined it a few weeks ago and I put it on the screen. I'll put it again. I believe the Bible is teaching us this, that a local church is a community of regenerated believers who hold to the gospel message of saving faith taught in the scriptures, meaning the church is for believers. It's made up of believers. And we define what saving faith is here. Saving faith is the belief in Jesus Christ as the son of God who died and rose again to pay one's personal penalty for sin. And the one who gives eternal life to all who trust him and him alone for it. And out of this, we would say in obedience to scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching, teaching, worship, prayer, and to observe the ordinances, not sacraments, ordinances of baptism and communion. They're unified by the spirit and scattered to fulfill the great commission to the glory of our savior. Now the church itself is made up of the entire body of Christ from the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 all the way up until the rapture, which will be noon on Monday. I'm just telling you. (laughs) Not setting dates. We looked at this teaching in Ephesians 3 about this dispensation and what we are talking about with the church age. But today we're talking about the local church and we know that the Bible teaches about the local church by simple observation, some simple, simple observations today in our text, Paul's words in Colossians one in verses one and two, what does he say? He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother to who the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossi, grace, to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then one more from Philippians one, one, Paul and Timothy bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Interesting. All the saints in Colossae, all the saints in Philippi. Notice there was two offices mentioned in this church. Bishops, some of your translations say overseers, same things, bishops, overseers, same things and deacons. Now let's tackle deacons first. Deacons were those in the church who showed maturity and were gifted in serving, caring for widows, helping with the real needs of people in the church. They were never intended to be a board of people making decisions for the church. I don't know why you see that in Baptist churches so much, but it is crazy. They were never intended for that. You will not find that in scripture. But what about bishops or overseers? Well, let's walk through this. This will take us some time. So stick with me because we built to something very important for the future of this church. The Greek word means overseer, bishop, or leader, but we also know they are called elders. Well, how do we know this? Because we can prove this from Titus 1, verses 5 and 7. So let's go there. Titus 1, 5 and 7. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And then I took out verse 6 purposely, and he comes back to it and he says, for a bishop must be blameless As a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Elder in verse 5 is bishop in verse 7. And the structures of these verses tell us this. Bishop is actually the same Greek word for overseer back in Philippians 1. An elder is an overseer, is a bishop. All describing the same office. Now, what is the work that they are called to do? This is very important. This becomes where most churches get off the tracks. And I'm going to spend some time on this, and not everyone here is going to really even care. I get that. I understand. Some are not going to care, and some are not going to understand how important this is to the future of this church and every church that you will ever be a part of. And this It matters to the vitality and the health of the church you belong to. So this takes us to first Peter five. Let's go to verse one and it says the elders who are among you, I exhort I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. What does he say to do? Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. I find it interesting. Peter identified himself as an elder. I just find that interesting. But what did Peter tell the elders in verse 2? What did he tell them? Well, He said, shepherd the flock, tend the flock, feed them by giving them the word of God. That's how you feed the flock, by giving them the word of God. Little sermonettes for 15 minutes that are not really in the word of God are not feeding the flock, that's starving the flock. Lead them, guide them by the scriptures, guard them just like a shepherd does his sheep. Now we see the same teaching in, in Acts 20, verse 28 about the elders of Ephesus, It says this, it says, therefore, take heed yourselves and all the flock who among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, verses like this show us that elders were not a ruling board. That's where I get people mad at me. Let me say it again in case you were sleeping and then you can be mad at me. Verses like this I already determined I'm going to shut my phone off this afternoon. <laughs> I just don't want to hear about it. Verses like this show us that elders were not a ruling board. They were shepherds of the church pastors. Now we see in Acts 11:30 in Acts 21, 18, that there were elders at the church of Jerusalem. Yes, there was. And it is at this point that we turn to Ephesians four. Let's pick it up with verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Pastor, a noun in verse 11, instead of a verb like in first Peter, where the elders were told to shepherd. But these two words are closely related. And the idea again of shepherding is feeding, caring for, protecting the sheep. The noun is a pastor. The verb is to shepherd now the debate exists, whether or not a pastor and a teacher are different positions here in Ephesians. And I don't care if you get mad at me on this. I don't care if you agree with me on this, but I'll say this from the Greek, the lack of the definite article tips the debate in my mind to let us know that a pastor should also be a teacher and, and no man is fit to be a pastor if he can't teach the word of God. Now, every person in this room has had some exposure to English. Is that correct? Is that safe to say you guys have had some exposure to the English language? Okay, good. You know then, and I know you hate to talk about this, but you do know that there's grammatical rules, right? There's also a program called Grammarly, which is beautiful and wonderful program that gets you out of a lot of jams. But there are grammatical rules to our language that determine usage and meaning. You guys know that, right? Well, this is true in Hebrew, and this is also true in Greek. Here, the words, pastors and teachers, are a construction called the Granville Sharp's rule, and what that means is that one who shepherds God's flock is also a teacher of the word of God. A pastor must be able to shepherd, a pastor must be able to teach the word of God, Now, here's where I get myself in a lot of trouble. It is the teaching of the Reformed Church that there are three offices in the local church. They say deacon, elder, pastor. Then the elders are typically, not always, but typically a board ruling over the pastor and the church, but not necessarily in the word, not necessarily teaching the word. That can be dangerous. That can be dangerous. Some of you are living in the aftermath of how dangerous that can become. And it leads to men who are often well-intentioned, really nice guys, but men that do not have the scriptural training to lead a church and have no business shepherding the people of God to rule over the church. Now, if you look carefully in the New Testament, what you see in the church are elders. I believe they're the same office pastors, multiple elders in a city or town. Multiple elders in a city or town, but not a board of elders, nor in the New Testament do you find a board of elders. The believers in a given location were called the church. I mentioned this to you before, but let me just get everybody in the class up to speed and review this from scripture. Acts 8.1, what does it say? At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem location, the church at Jerusalem The church was there in Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 1.2, to the church of God, which is where? At Corinth. 1 Thessalonians 1.1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians. You can kind of see the pattern. There were multiple elders, pastors, bishops, or overseers who oversaw the church in each city. Now in Acts 20, Luke tells us in verse 17, speaking about Paul, he said, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Now here comes grammar again. What do we notice about the grammar of this verse? Paul called for the elders, plural, of the church, singular, of the Ephesians. Huh, that teaches us something. And it's, it's not an isolated case, Let's go to Titus 1.5. Paul is referring to the island of Crete. And he told Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Again, it's the same thing. Elders, plural, in every city. Singular. You can also jot down 1 Timothy 5.17, written to Timothy at Ephesus. He's at Ephesus. And it says, let the elders who rule well, elders plural. Now this is another area where we have to get our understanding of the church from the context of the Bible. We know, at least we should know, that the church did not meet all together in a single building like we're doing here today. We find them meeting where? In house churches, house fellowships. And you see this all throughout the New Testament. First Corinthians 16, 19, Aquila and Priscilla. These guys had it going on, by the way. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. And we also find them in Paul's letter to the church at Rome. He said again, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. These guys were amazing, amazing Rome had quite a few of these house fellowships, Romans 16, 23, Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church greets you. In fact, if you walk through the names in Romans 16, that's a fascinating study all on its own, especially Romans 16, 10, Romans 16, 11, Romans 16, 14, and Romans 16, verse 15, Paul was listing the people who were hosting these house fellowships, these house fellowships. Churches. Colossians 4.15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphis and the church that is in his what? House. A church met in the house of Philemon, according to Philemon 1 2. Lydia's house in Acts 16:40 was probably a place of fellowship. So what I'm trying to get you guys to understand is this: a church, a church in the Bible in the New Testament, it could mean the entire body of believers in a city. It could mean that, like the church of Ephesus. But each house church in that network, it could also mean that too. A house church in the network of churches was called the church. And each house church had an elder or pastor. And again, going back to this idea that words have meaning, because you've heard me say this a thousand times in this church, when we try to understand the meaning of a Greek New Testament word, or when we try to understand the meaning of a Hebrew Old Testament word, we first look for how it was used in the Bible. We first look at how God himself used that word in the scripture But if we're still not clear about a meaning of a word, then we go outside of the Bible into the language of that day. We go to outside documents, to the literature of the language in which the Bible was written. And so we look at this Greek word, episkopos, translated in your Bible as bishop or overseer. And we see that outside the Bible, the word was used as an administrator but not one single time in all the historical documents we have, not one single time do we read them as a governing board making group decisions, ruling over. And we see this in the New Testament because in listing qualifications for leadership, Paul used the singular word overseer episkopos in 1 Timothy 3, 2, but the plural word for deacons in 1 Timothy 3, 8, because Again, I'm going to say it again, just to be clear, deacons were not meant to be a board either. They were not meant to be a board. They were meant to serve widows, orphans, and the poor. So what am I telling you? What am I beating on? What am I getting to? I'm telling you that we have no record in the new Testament of elders coming together as boards to talk and make decisions about ministry, but they did come together for the purpose of ministry. That's the difference. See, the elders would pray together. Absolutely, they would. James 5. They laid hands on men for service. Acts 15, and 1 Timothy 4, 14. And they worked together to refute those who opposed sound doctrine. This we find in Titus 1, 9 and Acts 20. But never a record in scripture. Never a record in scripture of an elder board who was just sitting there making decisions and not actually ministering in the word of God. As soon as I say this, someone will always bring up the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. And so let's just talk about the Jerusalem council because why not? It's Sunday. Let's do that. Let's talk about the Jerusalem council in Acts 15 for a few minutes. We find apostles and elders functioning together as a large council when they got together to discuss a matter. But let us be clear about what this was. This was not a church board. You're stretching the text beyond God's intention to make this say that this was a church board. Because first of all, this was a council, not a permanent board, but a meeting of the minds to discuss something. I call several of you men every now and then I do in the church. You may not know that if if you're not getting those phone calls, but I do call several of the men every now and then in the church, seeking your counsel, seeking your thoughts on issues as we face things in the church. But it doesn't mean I'm always creating a board. It means on a certain subject, I, I would really like your input on a certain issue. And this council was under the strong leadership of James. If you look at Acts 15, 19, James said this. He said, therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. And if you're reading in the Greek, it's actually stronger. In the Greek, you would understand that there's a strong emphasis on the word I saying, I judge So even though he had consulted with the council, his decision became the decision of the entire group. So what I'm telling you now is that we have no evidence in the word of God that elders were intended to be church boards of men just making decisions, but not ministering in the word of God. So where did this idea come from? That's my next question. Where did it come from? Well, there is no evidence in church history that elders are ever functioned as these boards like this, as decision-making boards before John Calvin? Never once. Again, like much of the bad doctrine that's still in the church today, it comes from the Reformation. See, this guy, John Knox, he studied under John Calvin and he carried the, we can trace it. We can trace where it came from. You can track this in history. History happened and you can track it. And he carried the eldership board concept to Scotland in 1559. We know the year. Now, why would he do that? Why would he do that? Well, he needed something. See, the Scots were rebelling against the monarchy of the English, and this, this, this helped them because this new approach to church government fit in with what they were looking to do. It get away from the hierarchy of the English church. They're trying to get away from that hierarchy. Church boards did not exist before this. So now we're sitting here, and we're saying, OK, that's great. But we're sitting here with a lot of people, and how do we fit all this into the modern church? Because we're not meeting in a house, unless somebody's living here and I don't know about it. We're not meeting in a house, and we got to try to figure out how we're going to fit this into today. If we want to get back to the exact form of church government of the early church, we would either have to go back to house churches, each with one elder, and By the way, part of the reason for those house churches was what was because the early church was under intense persecution. And we don't have that yet. It's coming again, but we have the freedom right now to meet under these larger settings like this. And so, by application, we don't look for a church board to rule, to rule over the church. That's a misunderstanding of scripture left over from the reformation. The question that we have here is that as this church grows, how many pastors, how many elders do we add? Do we need to work under leadership of the senior pastor to carry out the work of shepherding the people of God? And so what is our approach? How do we do that? What's our approach to this? Well, we follow the scriptures. I know that's a novel idea, but we follow the scriptures. Here's what I see. Paul told Titus to appoint elders in every city, men to pastor each of these little churches. And then he said in Titus 1, nine that these men are to be, watch this very carefully. He said, holding fast the faithful word as he has been what? Taught. That he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort And convict those who contradict. And likewise, Paul said to Timothy near the end of his life, he said, you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things which you've heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Boy, that seems kind of simple. Seems kind of simple. So let me be very clear on this point. This is our plan. This is our plan for church leadership here. This is our plan for training up men in church leadership. I teach them so that one day they can teach you. Now, if you have a problem with this method of training up church leaders, I come to the conclusion that one of three things is happening. Number one, you don't believe the Bible that this is how we are supposed to train people. But the Bible hasn't changed. People really haven't changed. Ministry hasn't changed. So tell me, why can't we follow the Bible and train up people the way God instructed? I'm just asking a question. Two, you may have a false understanding of how liberal, and there are exceptions, but how liberal and ungodly most theological schools have become. There is a lot of schools out there right now, Bible colleges and seminaries, accepting money from George Soros and the Rockefeller Foundation. Does that bother you? Or they're accepting money from the government, teaching evolution, putting death before Adam, teaching ungodly doctrine with an ecumenical mindset, reformed theology, false gospels, legalism, all sorts of garbage out there today. Now, there are a handful of schools that are an exception to this, but even the good ones, you still have to wade through stuff and you still got to pay a lot of money just to learn the word of God, something we can do right here. Third, the third possible reason you may balk at our method of training up men is because you don't think I'm qualified to teach and train up men. And if that's the case, I'm just going to say this. You're vastly underestimating my training, my experience and my entire life in ministry. You just are. I believe the Bible, and this is our plan for training up men. But also, trust me when I tell you that we will never add a church board of elders to our bylaws to make decisions because I don't believe that is of God. When I traveled for conferences, every once in a while I would run into someone. Typically, it was someone who never pastored a church. That's always the ones with the most opinions. And if they did pastor, it wasn't for very long, maybe a month or two before they got fired. And then they wanted to argue passionately, very passionately, that the mandated, the mandated from God form of church government was to have a church board of elders ruling over the pastors. And if we did, it would solve all the problems of the church today. I mean, if you hear these people, right, putting an elder board will, it will reduce the division and the gospel would go out and people are going to get saved and the deserts would bloom and the blind would see and the lame would walk. And yay, if climate change is real, maybe that'll even be cured. If we would only adopt elder boards in our churches. One problem I have with that is that elder boards are not like that taught in scripture. Second, the people that advocate these boards don't know the history and how these boards came out of the Reformation. And three, almost every elder led board that runs like that with a church board that I've ever seen has been a real mess, has been a real mess. I have seen the head of the elders set themselves in opposition to the pastor in the church with rocks continually by conflict. And most of the church, serious church splits and messed up churches I have seen, especially in the valley as of late, for big churches and counting, have all been churches with elder boards. See, the problem that comes is you end up with an elder board, often untrained, sometimes they have a Messiah complex and they sit in opposition or over the pastor, pastor or pastors, men entrusted to shepherd the church of God. It's better to see this as Scripture sees it. Pastors, elders, same office. Every church has elders. We have elders here. It is who the elders are that makes the difference. And if you're going to tell me that we must have an elder board in our church, I'm going to ask you to show me the verse in the Bible that teaches this. And I'm not going to let you dodge it and try to get away by showing me verses that go into great detail on every character quality and spiritual maturity listed in the Bible about leaders, because that's a separate issue. Of course, that's there. And that is where the emphasis is in the New Testament It is on the quality of the men, which is the bottom line. Because if you have immature, self-centered, ungodly men, even untrained men that don't know what they're doing, you're going to have a mess. And so based on verses like Philippians one, which we read before, where it describes the church is made up of saints and Jesus Christ at Philippi. The bishops, elders, or pastors in these house churches and deacons meant to serve. Our doctrine that we are putting forth that we have here is that there's two offices, pastors, you can call us elders, that's fine, and deacons. But the deacons should only meet if there's a physical need. There'll never be a deacon board here. Now, when I walk into a church, that happens sometimes, I could tell a lot in about five minutes and I like to sit back because I like to watch people. It's almost better than sitting on that bench in Walmart. Almost, you know, the bench I'm talking about, I like to sit back and see the church dynamics who's sitting around with the Messiah complex, who's serving. That's what I watch for. I watch the ones carrying things, lifting things, doing things. But unfortunately, much of the church today has become an army of hitchhikers. I want you to think about this. We see a lot of hitchhikers in Alaska. What is a hitchhiker saying when his thumb goes up, or her thumb, I'll be fair, on the side of the road? The hitchhiker's thumb says, you buy the car, you pay for the repairs, you take care of the upkeep, you pay for the insurance, you fill the car with gas, and I will ride with you. But if you have an accident, hey friend, you're on your own. In fact, I might even sue you. The mindset isn't much different today with church attenders. You go to the meetings, you serve on the committees, you wrestle with the issues, you do the work of the church, you make sure the bills are paid, and I'm going to come along for that free ride, but if things don't suit me, I'm going to complain and probably bail out because my thumb is always looking for a better ride. It's important to understand what the local church is supposed to be in Christ. It's not a denomination it's not a building. It most certainly is not YouTube. And it is not meant to be a free ride just to be here. When you feel like it, it is to be individual believers in Christ serving together. See the church. It's interesting to me that when COVID came and the globalists and the communists came, what did they first go for? The church, the church, but the church is not replaceable. I mean don't get me wrong there's a lot of great things out there that you can plug into to help you grow in your faith study bibles bible studies podcasts books but none of these things can fill the need a local church meets that's intended by God God's work here this point God's work in your life is accomplished through the local church nothing should replace it in your life and so if you have a hitchhiking mindset when it comes to church, you're missing out. I'm sorry. That's how I'll put it. You're missing out on some of the greatest growth in your faith that God intends in the word of God. The local church is compared to a human body and in the body of Christ, we have a different function, which is why Paul says in first Corinthians, starting with verse 12, as the body is one and it has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ for by one spirit. We are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves are free and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but what many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not, an eye, I am not the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? And then down in verse 20, Paul says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, for I have no need of you. See, what I'm telling you is this every member of this body of believers is essential to the work of Jesus Christ, every single person in this room. In verse 25, Paul says there should be no division in the body. And then in verse 26, he said, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We suffer when someone else in our household of faith suffers. We rejoice when one of our brothers or sisters in Christ is rejoicing. And if you think that your role is less important in the church. Let me tell you how this church operates. It operates by the sacrifice and prayers of those you never see. It's the people who do things behind the scenes that never ever get the spotlight. I've told this story before, but D.L. Moody was visiting a prominent businessman in Chicago when the idea of being a part of the local church came up. And the man said to Moody, I believe I can be just as good of a Christian outside the church as I can inside of it. And Moody said nothing. He didn't even say a word. He instead moved to the fireplace where they had a fire raging to keep out that winter cold. And Moody just simply removed one burning coal. He placed it on the hearth and the two men sat together and watched the ember die out. You're lying to yourself. If you think you can be a strong Christian apart from the local church, you're lying just as your body needs your eyes, your ears. We need the church and the church needs us. We don't need hitchhikers, sorry. And we don't need armchair quarterbacks. And here's why. Let's go over to Ephesians four. Again, we already looked at Ephesians four 11, where it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers Jesus Christ has given these gifts to the church. He's given some to be apostles. These were the delegates that had seen the risen Christ and had received a personal appointment from him. Twelve men plus Paul were the apostles. You and I are not apostles in this strict usage of the word here. New Testament prophets during the apostolic age spoke... Fourth, the truth of the word of God that had already been revealed. And some of them conveyed new revelation in the church. The canon of the word of God has long ago been closed and completed. And so, Christian, if you're going to tell me that you have a word from the Lord for me, you had better be willing to give me a scripture verse. Serious about that. I get tired of that. Don't look for knowledge to come directly from the spirit of God, but rather let the spirit of God teach you as you study the written word of God. God gave evangelists. God gave pastors, teachers for what purpose purpose statement for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ purpose statement here. This is all for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry So I don't understand Christians who say that they are going to church even when the teaching from the pulpit is weak. I don't get it. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry is one of the primary functions of the local church. The very first goal you should have when you come to the decision that you're going to make this church your church home, here's what you should do. Your first priority should be to submit yourself to the teaching of the word of God and learning, learning who God wants you to be in Jesus Christ. Engage in acts of service. Engage in the work of edifying the body of Christ. Then as you grow in your relationship with Christ, there will be a time for you to begin serving through the ministries of the church. And as spiritual growth continues, you should reach a point where you are able to minister to others in the same way that you were ministered to when you first showed up here to edify or build up the body of Christ until we come to the unity of the faith from the teaching of God's word. We come to the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect man or a mature man is the idea. The local church Christians is intended to help you conform to Christ. And this process of growth takes time so that verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share. No hitchhikers causes growth of the body, For the edifying of itself and love. The thing I want you to take away from this today is pretty simple it is that the local church is the only institution ordained by God to fulfill the Great Commission. See, God intends for the local church to educate, equip, and edify you for the work of the ministry. And part of this purpose of the church is to guard the doctrine in our lives, it's to guard doctrine. Didn't Paul just say that we shouldn't be tossed around by every doctrine in verse 14? And yet so many Christians are. That tells me some aren't listening. Did you know that there were two boats that could have responded to the Titanic when it was sinking? One boat, the Californian, was only about 20 miles away. It's so sad. They were only about 20 miles away. They Turned off their radio about 10 minutes before the Titanic hit the iceberg. They saw rockets and flares. They actually saw the rockets and flares shoot off in the distance. And they couldn't figure out why another boat was shooting off rockets and flares. But they were so self absorbed in what they were doing that they didn't bother turning on their radio. They didn't investigate, they didn't feel they could be bothered. They did see the boat's lights turn off, but just excused it away as it was turning off its lights for the night. The crew of the Californian were so much in maintenance mode in their ship with what they were doing that they couldn't even imagine that the Titanic was sinking. So for the rest of their lives, the crew members, think on this thought, the crew members of the Californian had to wrestle with why they didn't go to help. But there was another ship that you know about, the Carpathia. It was 58 miles away. Its radio was on, and when it got the call that the Titanic was sinking, what did it do? It powered up all its engines and headed straight, full steam ahead to the Titanic, navigating around icebergs in the night, and it ran at full power for three and a half hours. And when the crew showed up at the scene of the disaster, many people, of course, had already died in the frozen waters, but they were able to save 705 souls pulling them from the lifeboats. All I'm telling you is this. I know which boat I'm on. I know what God's grace has done in my life. Trust me when I say I know that. I have been running full steam ahead for Jesus Christ since I was 21 years old. And I refuse to take the hand off the throttle. You will have all of eternity to think about how you serve Christ now, or you will have all eternity to think about how you wished you would have served him more. But I can guarantee you this, no one's going to sit in heaven thinking about, man, I wish I would have just wasted more time, more money, more efforts on things that didn't matter. That would have been great. The Carpathia was in mission mode. The Californian was in maintenance mode. Which one are you going to be? Which one are you going to be? Christian always trying to get by and ignoring the cries for help or the man or woman on a mission for Jesus Christ. I made my decision a long time ago. I hope you guys join me. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word Pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.